God's Bones, End Times. Electricity coursed through Battle's body. He felt as though he were flying through a black tunnel. Whispers echoed all around him and bright lines of lightning like falling stars. On and on he flew, the noise of a horrid symphony twisting all around him. Higher and higher it wound up and up into a frightening crescendo, and then... It stopped. All was silent. He opened his eyes. The angel's face was hovering in front of his. No, not an angel at all but somebody wearing a strange leather mask. It was trying to talk to him, but he couldn't understand because the mask muffled everything. He panicked and hit it on the side of the head, and, leaping up, he'd been sitting in a chair. He ran for a curtained window. Mr. Battle, no! someone yelled. He thought the voice sounded familiar, but had no time to worry about it. He needed to escape. He tore the curtains aside, but the window was boarded up. Shaking a hand off his shoulder, he tried the next window, and the next, and the next, but all of them were covered in solid timber plank upon plank, filling each and every frame entirely. He pounded on the last one, screaming, Help! Mr. Battle! He looked up, and there was Mikhail Sten. He took momentary pleasure in seeing Sten's black eye and swollen cheek. Please, Sten said. Don't. Battle grabbed him by the shoulders. Who are you? What is this place? Mr. Battle, let me go! Why, Mr. Battle, you are free to go any time you wish. This was the other one, the person wearing the strange leather outfit. He, she, it, had removed the front piece, revealing a wide mouth but nothing else. Sister, Sten said. No, he must find out for himself. Mikhail stared at her, incredulous. Do you really think he'll believe us if we just tell him? Battle zeroed in on the only door in the room. Is that the way out? He'd already begun walking toward it. He took stock of his body as he moved. Everything hurt. His ribs, his face, his legs. The stone hammer case was clearly more complex than a missing girl. Who had hired Clyde and his goons to attack him like that? Who thought that that kind of threat would actually work? He was so engrossed by his thoughts that he didn't hear the sounds of something huge banging on the other side of the boarded-up windows. First the one on the end, the one he pounded on himself, then spreading to each one, one by one, until he stopped, his hand on the knob, and looked over at them. Sten was already closing the curtains. He cast a dirty look at the strange being in the middle of the room, the angel, which had now turned to watch him leave. You want to leave, Mr. Battle? Then leave, it said. What is that? What, that? The form shrugged. Just some visitors. A wild idea struck Battle. Are you keeping them prisoner, like me? Prisoner? It exchanged a look with Sten, who seemed to be stifling a laugh. I'd say we're more captive than they are, so to speak. But do go on, Mr. Battle. See for yourself. Battle frowned and opened the door. Oh, Mr. Battle? He turned, and Sten threw him a fireplace poker. Battle snatched it out of the air. It was iron and heavy, heavier than he thought it would be, as if it had been forged, not for the fireplace, but as a weapon. I'd give you something better, but this is all I can spare at the moment. Battle nodded and left, closing the door solidly behind him. He found himself at the bottom of a set of stairs. He looked up. An ornate candelabra hung from the ceiling, its crystals tinkling in the stairwell. Three stories, at least. 
On the other side of the stairs loomed a hallway shrouded in darkness, leading, presumably, to the living area and then the kitchen, and finally the formal dining room, just like his own home. To his right, the vestibule, and beyond that, the front door and, hopefully, escape. Except the vestibule door had been blocked too, boarded up with even stouter beams than the windows he tried to escape from before. A bay window overlooked the street. It was boarded up too, but for one plank. Battle went to it and put his face up to the opening to see what he could see. He stayed there, trying to take it all in, his face sickly and unwell in the light glowing in the air outside. The fireplace poker grew slick in his hand, and he let it drop. Then, alarmed at the sound and the reaction of the things on the other side of the glass, he picked it up and hugged it to his chest. His heart felt like it was about to beat out of his body, like he just sprinted up and down a tall incline, which was why, when he heard the creak of the floorboard behind him, he yelped and spun, holding the poker out like a lance. Disturbing, isn't it? It was only Sten. Battle lowered the poker. What are those things? Where did they come from? That's funny, Sten said. We are hoping you'd tell us. Sten steered him upstairs. It was only after they reached the second turn that Battle realized how dirty the Stens kept their house. His shoes left dark footprints, and the moonlight illuminated so much dust in the air that he felt the need to cover his mouth and nose with his shirt. Sten led the way, his silver hair shimmering. He turned around once and saw Battle with his shirt over his face and smiled. You've a lot more to worry about than the quality of air, Mr. Battle. What about the mold? Sten eyed the streaks and patches of black blossoming on the walls and snickered. <laughs> Still. The stairs ended in the middle of a hallway on the third floor. They walked down to a door at the end, where Sten opened a heavy oak door. A warm glow came from inside. Your palace awaits. Battle stepped inside and was shocked at the difference between the cold filth in the hallway and the cozy, clean wonderfulness of the room. Oil lamps hung on the walls and from a candelabra. Candles sat on the tables and a fire crackled in the fireplace. The furniture looked comfortable, if used, and a tray of fruit and nuts and savories were displayed on a silver tray on a table in the middle of it all. Please, help yourself. Battle's stomach growled, and he made fast work of an apple and a handful of nuts. My God, brother, a voice said. Maybe you should have set some aside for us. Battle turned to see who it was, and saw a woman in men's trousers standing by an open door in the back next to the fireplace. Her face was fresh and ruddy, her skin gleaming, and she was wringing her long blonde hair out into a towel. She smiled at him. Joking, Mr. Battle. Fill your belly. Stem put a glass of wine in his hand, and Battle drank deep. It was delicious. Thank you, he said. The windows in this room were not boarded up. In fact, a door opened up onto a rooftop terrace. The woman saw him see it. Would you like to go out there? Then, seeing his expression change as he remembered the things he'd seen pounding on the windows on the ground, You're perfectly safe up here, Mr. Battle. They cannot climb. The walls, at least. He nodded and followed her to the exit, which he opened dramatically, and they stepped out onto the terrace and into the cold, clear night. The temperature stole his breath, and he took a gulp of wine to warm his throat. The moon and stars glowed with an unearthly light, illuminating the familiar skyline. As if sensing his gaze, one of the silhouettes of the buildings in the distance started to sway slowly back and forth, like it was waving at him. Then it toppled over. Seconds later came the rumble and crash. That's happening more and more, the woman said. The streets are cracking, too. I'm surprised this one's remained intact. I don't know your name, Battle said. You don't? No. Sister, don't tease, Sten said as he came out behind them. Who's teasing? I apologize for her, Sten said. She might be an able fighter, 
but her manners are shit. The woman rolled her eyes at him and laughed. <laughs> and my brother's a decaying old mossback. She went to the brick wall that encased the terrace and spread her palms flat on the surface. My name is Tidsnare. It was you then, Battle asked, who saved me from Clyde? It certainly wasn't Mikhail. He might have a leg up with his leap, but he's more of a diplomat. Battle joined her and peered cautiously over the edge. The creatures below glowed pale blue, a terrible and unnatural color. Most wandered aimlessly, barring those that had thronged one of the windows. Those had, for the most part, stopped beating on the broken glass. But they still milled around in the yard. He watched as one tripped over something in the grass and impaled itself on the spiked iron fence. We don't know what they are, Tidsnare said. They've been around since before I was born, before Mikhail was born. And Mikhail's ancient, so if that gives you any indication. Battle estimated her age to be in the twenties. If Mikhail was older, it wasn't by much. So you were born before the war? he asked. Tidsnare smiled ruefully. You're talking about the Civil War. Depends on where you're from. The pretender likes to refer to it as the War of Northern Aggression. I wish I was that old, Mr. Battle. If only that was possible. Unfortunately, I was born long, long after that. You can't be any older than me, can you? <laughs> Certainly not. Then, Tidsnare took a deep breath. I'd rather wish to break this to you a little more naturally, but... She leaned an elbow on the ledge to face him. I was born in England, in 1897. <laughs> You're mad. It's 1881. No, it's actually 1919, Mr. Battle. 1919. He looked all around wondering if this strange woman was playing games. As if reading his mind, Tidsnare said, I'm not joking, Mr. Battle. You remember Mikhail in the alley when you bested him? Battle stared at her wonderingly. The same technology that he used to leap through space can be used to leap through time. Battle had already decided to get as far away as possible as soon as possible. They were deranged, loony. And yet, those things on the ground, the blue glow... I wish we had more time to explain it to you in more detail, but I'm afraid we're short. You see, I'm sure you're wondering why we would save you of all people from the grim fate those below suffered so terribly. I hadn't even begun to imagine that. Fair enough. I'll explain it to you nonetheless. We know you were at the Battle of Washington, and we know that you suffered terrible wounds. Battle became suddenly aware of the scars on his belly. We know about Gold's bones, and we know that you survived because of it. Me and many others. Yes, but they all died before they even reached thirty years old. You, however, did not. In fact, you're well past thirty. I'm forty-three. Forty-five, she corrected. Then she gave him an apologetic look. Slaves were not given birth certificates, as you know, but we've developed ways of figuring it out. How? It's very technical, Mr. Battle. Is this about DNA? For the first time, Tidsnare's superior attitude gave way to genuine surprise. You know about DNA? Only a little of what I've read. A friend of mine is an amateur scientist of sorts. Yes, we know. And they both said his name at the same time. Han Chen. Do you know him? Battle asked. Do I know? M Mr. Battle, I don't know any way of explaining what we're doing here other than stating it directly. You and Mr. Chen nearly saved the world from, well... She spread her arms out at the scene below. This... Nearly saved the world. Yes, unfortunately. How? That's what we were hoping you could tell us. Before your deaths, 
You and Han set up four vaults filled with the cure that could defeat the evil that infested the world. Vaults one through three were lost in the war that followed, but number four remained unscathed. Another rumble shook the night, this one closer. Battle felt the vibrations in his feet. Tidsnare wasn't as casual about this one as she was the one before. Indeed, she looked outright alarmed. I, I didn't see any buildings go down, Battle said. It's not always a building. More and more, it's streets, then the buildings. They each sipped their wine, waiting for another quake, but nothing came, and eventually they both relaxed. When? Battle asked. When what? When did I die? Tidsnare looked momentarily abashed. You have to know when I died. So when was it? Well, when you were forty-five. Battle let that sink in. Is that why you saved me from Clyde? Is he the one who did it? Oh, dear me, no. It happened well after, well, a few months later. Six, to be exact. I see. So, this vault, if it still exists, if you know where it is, why not open it yourselves? We've tried, Mr. Battle, believe me. The mechanism you devised is extremely personal. That would be Chen. He loves, loved, to tinker. Why not blow it up? We've used every substance we know about to try and crack it, from acid to dynamite. Nothing works. Nothing will work, we believe, except for you. It's why you're here, Mr. Battle. You have something we need. What could I possibly have that you need? Your arm. He looked at her, horrified, and she shrugged. Or maybe just some of your blood. The sound of a window bursting echoed into the night, glass tinkling into the street. Tidsnare cursed under her breath and leaned out over the terrace ledge. At the same moment, Mikhail appeared. They've breached the vestibule. Vestibule? How? Oh, never mind. Roof a tunnel. You know how much I hate flying. And you know how much I hate the tunnels. Tunnels it is, then. She led them down a back stair, three flights, pausing at the door to the living room. She opened it a crack and peered out into the darkness. More glass broke as the creatures clawed their way inside, and a terrible smell filled the room, rot and stench of innards, and under that, the sweet, heady smell of mold. We're clear, Tidsnare said. She opened the door all the way, the hinges whining. The door to the basement is just... A creature lurched out of the hallway and fell into her, mouth chomping, nails clawing at her face. She rolled expertly on her back, the monster following with her, and then Battle didn't see anymore because she kicked out and slammed the door closed. What are you doing? Mikhail yelled. She kicked it! Mikhail ripped Battle back and threw the door open, bursting out into the living room and shouting, Titsna! No need to lose your mind, brother, she said. She appeared in the opening, her clothes, hair, and skin spattered with blood, and the telltale blue guts smeared everywhere else. Mikhail stared at her, horrified. Did it? Are you? No, it did not, and yes, I am. The fool slammed the door shut. I kicked the clothes, brother. More glass shattered in the front of the house, followed by the cracking of wood. Tidsnare glanced at it. Time's up, it seems. She grabbed her brother's hand and turned to battle. Are you coming? 
Battle made sure to close and lock the door to the basement before going down. The air turned chilly and smelled of mold and pipes. His foot hit something that squeaked and skittered off into the dark. At the bottom, Mikhail lit a gas lantern and strode around, feet crunching on the rock floor, lighting more and more lamps until the whole basement was illuminated. His sister went over to an antique shifferobe, its wood distressed with age, its doors slightly warped, and began to strip. Battle immediately turned his back out of respect, and Tidsner saw it and laughed at him. Oh, please, Mr. Battle. Monsters rule the earth. Civilization is broken down, and you blush the sight of a woman's body. I'm sorry, I'm just not used to this. Fair enough. Mikhail joined her in disrobing, and they spoke in their own language, and she laughed again. Leather or iron, Mr. Battle? she asked. Excuse me? Leather or iron? You can turn around now, I'm fully clothed. Tidsner had stepped into her leather outfit, the one he'd first seen her wearing when she fell from the ceiling in Clyde's warehouse. The filter, the strange apparatus that made her look like an insect, hung off the back. She held up another suit similar to hers. Leather? And then she nodded at her brother. Mikhail had donned several pieces of a suit of iron, breastplate, gauntlets, van braces, pauldrons, and greaves. Or iron? Why doesn't he just use his magic button? It's not a magic button, Mr. Battle. It's science. And all the science in the world won't help me when I'm taken by surprise. The armor certainly looked difficult to pierce, but also clunky and unwieldy. And the leather looked tight and uncomfortable. I'd rather not wear either, but thank you. The siblings exchanged a dubious glance. Mr. Battle, I don't think you understand. I understand just fine. If it's the undressing that bothers you, nothing bothers me. I'll go as I am. Tidsner looked dumbfounded, and Mikhail whispered something that sounded like idiot under his breath. Suit yourself. No pun intended. Tidsner put the extra leather suit back into the shiffer robe. More footsteps came overhead. A lamp crashed to the floor in a distant part of the house. Come along, then, she said, moving toward the back of the basement. Battle started to follow her, but Mikhail stepped in front of him. One scratch, and I'm putting you down. Battle stared into his eyes, refusing to back down. No offense. None taken. He made sure to bump the man's shoulder as he pushed by. I'll be sure to do you the same. The tunnel emptied out into an alley behind the house. One of the creatures was hiding behind a back staircase, and Tidsner dispatched it with a pair of knives that seemed to spring out of her suit. Another leapt on Mikhail from behind, but rather than fight it off, he used his machine to transport himself out in front of his sister, and the monster collapsed upon battle, who was in the process of spinning around to see what had made the ghastly noise. But Battle, who had been in more fights than he could remember, didn't panic. He remembered his training. Not, ironically, his military training, not necessarily, but his training in the ring. He stunned the beast by shoving it off him, and when it came for him again, he delivered what he thought would be a solid punch to the nose. But instead of stunning it, or knocking it silly, he decapitated the thing. The stump where its head used to be spurted blood, and Battle stepped aside as the body dropped to its knees and fell onto the cobblestones. Then he looked up at Tidsner, who hadn't had the time to do anything more than take one step forward to help him before it was all over. I don't think I've ever punched anyone's head off before, Battle said. I don't think I've ever seen anyone punch somebody's head off before. Here's to me, then. Mikhail was already at the alley's end, having not even stuck around to see if Battle was all right. The streets were, for the most part, empty. Mikhail kept to the shadows and doorways, moving swiftly. Tidsner tried to fill battle in on what they were doing as they made their way through the city. Though over a quarter century had supposedly passed, and though many of the buildings had suffered the effects of whatever catastrophe had been loosed upon the world, 
Battle still recognized much of the landscape. Here was Moshe's kosher deli, where he bought his kanish. And there was Jackson's Barbecue, home of the best mac and cheese in the city. The streets were littered with body parts in a fall and all kinds of brick and wood and shattered glass. The buildings, those which still stood, looked about to collapse, and many sections of the road had caved in. After several blocks of creeping and slinking and once, yes, even crawling, Mikhail's body lost all pretense of stealthiness, and he stood up straight, rolled his shoulders, and jogged out into the middle of the street, yelling, Hello? Mikhail! Tidsnare hissed. Stop! Hello! He cried again, turning in circles. Free lunch! Come and get it! Tidsnare put a bracing arm out and backed herself in battle up against one of the still-standing buildings left on the block taking care to hunch into a dark corner, untouched by the bright moonlight. They waited, and waited, and nothing happened. Battle cleared his throat. <clears> throat. But what are we... Shh! Nothing seems... Mr. Battle, if my brother wants to be an idiot, that's fine, but you are too important. Mikhail removed his helm and spread his gauntleted arms. Nothing! They're gone! They're not gone, Mikhail! The ground began to shake, lightly at first, but growing in intensity. Mikhail, get over here, now! He was frozen in the middle of the street, hands out for balance. Blocks and bricks from the buildings around them fell from the sky. One landed right in front of Tidsnare, sending her leaping backwards. Another struck Battle's shoulder and knocked him to the ground. The shaking grew more violent. Wood creaked and cracked, metal moaned. It sounded like a dying leviathan. Battle saw a flitting image of Tidsnare leaping out into the street. Then more debris fell from the sky. The earthquake reached its peak, and then, just as fast as it started, it was over. Battle struggled to get up. His shoulder felt like it was dislocated, and then he realized that it really was dislocated. And then he enjoyed the wonderful sensation of it slipping back into its socket all on its own accord, with no consideration of his preference. Mikhail, he called, stumbling out into the street. Tidsnare! The dust and dirt clouded the air, making it nearly impossible to see where he was going. Then the building against which he had taken cover, a small two-level townhouse, shifted and moaned and fell into the empty space next to it, and the force created by the fall blew the dust and the dirt clear of his path, and he saw, if only for a second, that he was standing on the brink of a massive canyon. A hole had opened up in the earth at his feet, and it was hundreds of feet deep. He saw no sign or trace of the siblings. That wasn't what disturbed him the most, though. What disturbed him the most was the howling blue glow pulsing at the bottom of whatever abyss they had fallen into. The walk to Han's den was fraught with anxiety. Battle expected to be attacked at every intersection and every dark corner. The closer he got, the more impassable the streets became. First it was deep cracks in the road, then fallen buildings and their associated debris. And finally, it was blockades. Some professionally constructed, he built them himself during the war, some thrown desperately together. The most curious thing Battle noticed was the lack of bodies. War, at least war as he knew it, was notorious for its contempt of the living, and it was even more contemptuous for the leftover vessels it so casually destroyed. Philadelphia, Wilderness, Spotsylvania, Washington. 
He remembered the stench of his brothers rotting, sometimes dead, sometimes alive, the cries, the moans, the pitiful whimpers. He remembered his own wound, his belly covered with blood. Before Tidsner and Mikhail brought him to this place, rescued him from a certain and most certainly painful death at the dastardly hands of Clyde Barley, the lack of the moans and the cries and the stench would have puzzled and concerned him to no end. But now that he'd seen what he'd seen, knew what he knew, well, he might have been concerned, but his puzzlement had dissipated into the boundless chasm. Hans Den stood alone, a true bastion amongst the rubble, exactly as Tidsner described it. He had to wrench the old door open, and the frame cracked and dust and dirt sifted down from the awning above. He half expected Ushi to come babbling out of the back, yelling at him as she usually did, disturbing the attics in their daily repose. But he was only met with complete and utter darkness. It was so completely and utterly dark that the farther in he crept, the more he felt as though he was floating in a void, until he barked his shin on something heavy and sharp and he cried out and fell to the floor, writhing. Confounded mess! Shin wounds were the worst. How had his maker felt it so necessary to bundle the most sensitive nerves in the body around such an unprotected bone? He'd seen men's shins explode before, shattered by mini-balls, fractured by bullets, and though he knew what had just happened to him was in no way similar, he couldn't help but make the connection. His leg hurt. Hurt bad. His pant leg was already wet with blood, and when he stood up, he could barely put any weight on it. A rumble in the distance shook the building, and glass and crystals tinkled overhead. Hinges from some dark recess of the den whined, and Battle, before he could catch himself, said, Hello? He clapped his hand over his mouth as soon as he did it. It was as if his voice had unleashed a caged beast, which, in a way, it had. He heard grunts and heavy breaths and the sounds of furniture, the attic's chaise lounges and reclining chairs, being thrown against the wall. Even more terrifying was the glow, the pale blue glow, that preceded the creature responsible for the destruction. Panicked, Battle lurched for the back, heading, he hoped, for Han's office. The monster must have heard him because it let out a terrifying screech, and then the noise of it busting its way through the den increased in volume and in violence. It screeched again when it saw him, and he turned and saw a massive figure barreling for him. But where before he couldn't see where it was, how far or near to safety he stood, now the glow lit the den up enough so that he could make out the door to Han's office only a few feet away. He hopped forward, vaulting along on one foot, wondering when he'd feel the thing's claws bite into his shoulder and rip his arm to shreds. But the door was right there, and it wasn't closed all the way, and Battle threw himself at it and spun and slammed it shut. The beast thundered into it seconds later, throwing him backwards and onto his rear. But the door held, mercifully, at least for the moment. The window provided enough light for him to see Hans safe standing in its usual place behind his desk. It was still as massive as it always was, with this impressive complex of Chinese characters weaving their way through each other, and the gold inlay tree of life seeming to glow in the moonlight, little rills of electricity running along the edges of the design. But the socket was gone. The monster thundered away at the door behind him. He heard the wood crack. How? How was he supposed to open it? He shook his head, at a complete loss of what to do next, and, partly out of desperation, partly out of frustration, he put his hand on the Tree of Life icon and sighed. Something thunked deep in the base heart of the safe, and then the ticking noises came, and the icon separated, and a black hole formed beneath his now shaking hand. The monster was now halfway through the door, its fists bloodied, its skin hanging off it in strips. Battle took a deep breath and let it out. Then he plunged his arm into the socket. 
It kept going and going until he placed his arm all the way up to his shoulder so that his cheek rested against the cold metal of the safe. Nothing happened. The monster kicked the last of the door away. Battle closed his eyes. Please, 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 he whispered. Then he felt the grip and closed his hand around it. The machinery inside the safe thunked again, and his arm was squeezed by something thick and terrible. Thousands of teeth bit into his flesh, and he felt them pumping liquid into his body. He started to scream, and then he was consumed by a hot light that ate him from inside out, and he disappeared into a deep, dark, terrible place. Mm -hmm.